When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Thank you, Shell, for coming on the show today. I appreciate your time and your desire to love on those who. Uh, will understand what you're going through with cancer. We're here to talk about Marcelo, your husband, and his diagnosis with cancer. Tell me what it was like on the week or the days before you get the diagnosis. What is your life like? What is the relationship like? What are the boys doing? We were just busy. You, You know how life gets just full of activity. And Marcelo had just returned home from a deployment. He was just feeling sick worn down. He just didn't feel right. He didn't exactly know why, but he was going to work every day. In fact, the day that we found out that he was really sick, he got up, he went to work. And while he was at work, he had some blood drawn. He actually worked in a clinic in a military facility at the time, waiting to get accepted into his internship. He had applied for an internship internship at Naval Medical Portsmouth. So he was anxiously waiting to hear from that. And they take his blood to find out half of it was missing. I speak in very much layman terms, so you're not going to hear anything spoke um, medically correct. Somehow he was bleeding somewhere. They didn't know what was going on. They wouldn't even let him drive to the hospital. They uh, had an ambulance come and pick him up, and they took him to Naval Medical Portsmouth. I was in such disbelief. They called me, and they said, hey, we're taking your husband to the emergency room. And I'm like, why? And they're like, he's bleeding inside, and we're taking him by ambulance. I was like, what happened? And they're like, nothing. We just took blood work, and, and something's wrong. And, and could you meet him there? I'm like, okay. But I was definitely in denial. I didn't understand how to process the information that something was wrong without something, you know, like I thought I was waiting to hear that he was in an accident or something had happened. Right. So it was really confusing time. I, we didn't know what we were walking into. That sounds very vague as far as I get why you're head is spinning and you can't quite wrap your mind around it because it's really not making sense. You just, what, kissing goodbye that morning, he goes off to work and now they're saying meet him at the emergency room and they don't know what's going on. So that is what brings on the buildup to the process of getting the diagnosis. So when did the diagnosis come in? Like, what did you have to go through in order to get that diagnosis? It actually came pretty quickly. Marcelo was on staff there at the, um, well, that's actually where he did his internship. He had just been stationed on a ship for a short time. And like I said, he was waiting to get back to the hospital. It was an in-between time. He was working at one of the clinics. So um, people there knew him and they became more and more concerned. And I was just, again, in denial. He's fine. He had just come home from deployment. When you're waiting for your husband to come back from deployment, there's all this anticipation just to be back to normal life. So I wasn't really ready to give up normal life yet at that point. He knew, I I could tell he knew, you know, as the test results kept coming in, that the news was getting worse and worse. And I just was like, rebelling against everything everybody said, but they they did what the emergency room does. They roll everything out. Within a couple of days, they said, you need to come in and you're going to be living in the um, hospital for the next four months. They had come up with a pretty interesting treatment plan for him. If anybody is listening that has had cancer before, there are so many different kinds and they treat it in so many different ways. And this was about 19 years ago for us. So even just that span of time, things have changed so much. I mean, it's so rarely now that people get moved into the hospital, but I can see that God's hand was on us because he was able to get care for whatever he was going through. Like if he felt nauseated within a moment, 
they had medicine. I mean, they were helping him. Um, so we, we moved into the hospital. We listened to the treatment plan, and the treatment plan was basically we are going to make you neutropenic, and that means they're going to take all his white count away, and they're going to do it four times. So again, all of this doesn't mean very much to me, but being neutropenic is a very dangerous time because they wipe out your white blood count and you don't have any way to fight. So if you get a cold or an infection or, or whatever, it could literally kill you. They told us from the beginning that going through this process that his cancer was very aggressive and they had to treat it aggressively and that he would either make it out of here cancer free in four months or he wouldn't make it that the chemo would be what would take his life. So. It was really scary knowing all of that, and it was just happening so fast. We were very blessed. My my grandmother, my mom came, and they stayed with the boys, and I did not ask, but Naval Medical Portsmouth Hospital was so generous to us. He was, Nowadays, they have a lot of rooms that are private rooms for everyone, but back then, we had a, a room where it wasn't a private room, and I pushed the other bed close to his, and... I never asked if I could stay, and they never told me to leave, but I stayed <laughs> for the entire time. It was definitely humbling, and I feel, I remember feeling, my personality is very controlling. Like, I like to um, make sure things are managed well, and things, all the things, are, everybody's happy, you know, everybody's eating, and this was the very first time I, I felt like I was spinning so much out of control, and there was nothing I could do. I love the 23rd Psalm. I know I've shared this with you before. I love the memory verses that I remembered when I was a little girl because they stuck in my head. If I try to remember something now, it it won't stick. Part of that verse, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I didn't really think about it at the time, but now everything stopped. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And that verse came alive to me during his treatment because I wanted it to stop. I'm like, all right, guys, done. We want to exit. <laughs> you know, this is not happening to us. You know, denial, denial, denial. And then because they said it would be over in four months, part of me just wanted to rush ahead. Okay, Lord, where's this going to end? You know, what does the end look like? Make it stop. Get us to the end. You know, so that verse became alive to me because I then had to take one step at a time and put my trust in the Lord because I had no control. There wasn't anything I could do to stop it or make it better or make it end the way I wanted. I just had to rest in, in his goodness. And, and control is completely an illusion. I think about your personality and you say that you are, did you say control freak? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then God comes along and completely takes your feet out from underneath you. And you have no ability to lift your hand to help yourself. Yeah. What does that feel like? Did you go into complete submission or did you, well, you said you were kind of fighting it saying, get us out of here, trying to rush the time through. Do you think that's a mistake that we rush our pain. The thing that surprised me the most, my husband was very optimistic the whole time. The people on the cancer floor, they loved him. We had doctors that had similar to his cancer before come in and just cry with them and try to encourage him and love on him. And he was having us make lists of things we can think, be thankful for. And I'm just not on that, was not as positive as he was. Now, of course, as a believer, his eternity is secure. So he knew that he would be with the Lord. But my fear was to try to walk in this world without my very best friend. And that's what I was freaking out about. I was struggling even to pray. I wasn't mad. I was just sad. I was in denial. Like, I, I can't let this happen. Understandably, your world just got flipped upside down and you're trying to make sense of it. I wasn't praying either. When Larry passed away, I was very quiet. I talked to God, but I wasn't praying for myself. I wasn't praying for anyone else. I wasn't reading my word. I wasn't going to church. I was just numb. I didn't have a fight in me or anything like that. So when you share that particular uh, perspective, I get it. I get it. You just don't have anything to fight with. What are you going to fight with? 
for me, it was a done deal. Yeah. And then you, they're giving you four months. Well, we thought it was a done deal. About two months in, the first part of his treatment went really well. We thought, wow, this is no big deal. Right. Marcel, I think at the time was like 33 or 34 years old. He's very active, you know, military guy. He was in good shape. So we knew this was not going to be a big deal. But what we didn't know, it was a, is a young person's diagnosis. So it's more of a cancer that would affect younger people like in their teens. So for this cancer, he was kind of on the older end. Oh spectrum. And the second time is when he almost passed away. They would make him neutropenic four times. So the first time, okay, um, he they made him neutropenic. He got through it fine. We did learn one little thing that when your white count comes back, um, his legs would ache. You remember how when you were little and your legs were yes. growing pains? It, it's similar to that, he said, but it's a lot worse. Mm. And so when his legs started aching, that, that was a good sign. The second time around, he this is when he didn't do very well. During the holiday season, and they let him come home one day. My mom made him exactly what he asked for. And for whatever reason, he just started to go downhill. He wasn't feeling well. And so we had to rush him back to the hospital. And I thought I knew my husband. I thought he was sleeping. But they came in and they said, I'm sorry, Mr. Rabbis, but we don't think Marcelo is going to make it through the night. And I was mm -hmm. like, what? I, I was completely caught off guard. We'd been married for a long time. I thought there was this bond that I would just know. You know? <laughs> was wrong. Nothing was going to happen on my watch. They came and they took him to the ICU. And at this point, of course, Sherry, he had lost all his hair and he had chemo face. We just call it a real round face, no eyebrows. He had all these tubes hooked up to him. He's not talking anymore. I couldn't, can't get him to talk to me. That was, I think, the most scariest thing, realizing that I might not hear his voice again. That scared me. I followed him down to the ICU and I sat there and I thought, well, if he's going to die, I'm going to be here holding his hand. I'm going to be here for him, mm -hmm. which was a big shift for me because all this time I'd kind of been in denial that, you know, we're going to get through this. It's not going to, it's not going to happen. So we're sitting down there for hours and I would just say, please don't go fight. You know, we've got two young boys we need to raise. I don't want to do this without you, but I was pretty much desperate pleading with him. Then I would actually make myself so physically sick. I would go to the bathroom and I would throw up because I've never felt so overwhelmingly sad before in my life. Marcelo's friends that were doctors were there. They had been called in to do surgery. So what was basically happening is he was neutropenic and in his bowel, there had been an infection brewing and his bowel was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and they were waiting for it to just burst. And so when that happened, they were going to have to do surgery, but because he was neutropenic, there would be no way for him to fight and that surgery would be actually pretty much the end. At the time, they didn't know what more to do. There was nothing to do but wait. So to see his oncologist crying, to see his friends, surgeons crying. I was convinced that he was going to die. Of course. But then I would go back in thinking, if he's going to die, I need to be here with them. And I made this circle all through the night, you know, to sit with him, to go throw up, to go see the doctors waiting or our pastors. They were all praying and encouraging. And I go to the bathroom again and I get ready to throw up again. And I always tell people, if you ever want to meet God, he is in the ICU um, bathroom. <laughs> not the chapel, he's in the bathroom. But I go into the bathroom and I felt, it's not something I heard out loud, but I heard the Lord say, am I enough for you? And I looked at myself in the mirror not and I said, yes, Lord, you're enough. And I knew that he meant no matter which way this went, Am I enough to get you through this? And and it was like a a feeling, like a being washed over with just peace. My whole countenance changed. Wash my face, went out. I talked to the pastor and I said, Pastor, my husband loves Jesus. I know that the chemo has been hard on him and he's ready to go home. If I'm supposed to go in there and let him go, tell him that it's okay. Let me know. And he goes. 
I don't think so. I think we pray for healing. And I was like, okay. So I was all charged up and ready. And I went inside and I was telling them stories. I was like, do you remember that first apartment we got? And all the the roaches were bigger than our cat. And that was the last time I ever let you pick a place we're going to live. You know, just stories about how he saved my life on kayaking trips or canoe trips with friends. And I was just laughing with them and enjoying memory lane. I don't know exactly what was going on in my head anymore. It's the strangest thing. None of the circumstance changed, but God spoke to my heart and that changed. It changed my perspective about how this last time with my husband. And a few hours later, he leaned over and he said, Shelly, my legs hurt so bad. And I knew that his white count was coming back. And in that moment, we still had two neutropenic cycles to go. But in that moment, I just knew that God was going to allow him to be okay. And I never, from that moment forward, was ever, ever afraid. God's pieces really pulled me through that, and I'm so thankful for that. And that peace does surpass our normal ability to understand, because what we are experiencing says one thing completely different. But then God pierces that circumstance with his peace. A beautiful survival, really. Because yeah. it's more than just surviving, because surviving to me indicates you're, you know, white knuckle in it and maybe you've sunk your fingernails into something. But his peace yeah. has you saying, all right, Lord, you're in control. I trust you to be who you say you are. I trust you to do what you say you're going to do. And I'm going to recline in that. Marcelo did almost pass away one more other time, but we had the most memorable, precious times. For an example, Marcelo being the active guy that he was, he was always like, unplug me, I want to walk. So we were constantly walking the hospital. We'd walk the parking garage. And one night we snuck out. I was like, let's just get in the car and go. And we went over to a friend of ours. They have a restaurant and they're like, what are you guys doing here? And we're like, we snuck out. We feel so like rebellious teenagers, you know. They would not let us pay for our dinner, which about killed me. We had some seriously magical moments during that time, just really focusing in on what is so important. I think that COVID has kind of been a reminder. It's like put us all on notice in the same way. True. Marcelo, by nature, was more quiet. I, I think I'm a the believer that I am because of him, because of his walk with the Lord, he has led me well in my married life. He was really set back by the fact that he was talking to the Lord, but not getting any response. And all of his life of being a Christian, he could always hear the Lord speaking to his heart. Well, now he kind of felt that absence of the voice of the Lord, and it scared him a little bit. He had such a close relationship to not hear from the Lord was hard for him during that time. About a month in, he says, Shelly, I have been asking the Lord, will I live or will I die? Will I live or will I die? And he goes, I finally got the answer today. And he came in and his whole face was so bright. And I was like, okay. He said, the Lord told me that it's a bad question because I'm not going to die. My physical body will die, but it's the way God sees it. It's I live here or I live here. One of my favorite moments, Sherry, was when he walked out of the hospital. They said four months in, they're like, dude, you're cancer free. It's gone. It's, it's a miracle. Even the doctors around us back when that very first round, they were like, this is not this is not what's supposed to happen. This is a miracle. So it's time to go. And he goes, Shelly, you have to go home. You've got to get my uniform. He goes, I walked in. Remember he was on, he was working in my uniform and I'm walking out of my uniform. And I just love the way he loves our country Mm. and the way he loves to serve. And him walking out without any hair was a little weird, but (laughs) I think he does have to make me cry. It sounds like you came into knowledge or agreement about Marcelo's cancer diagnosis? Because at first you said you were in denial. Do you recall any why questions that you had for God? Or were you just fighting it up until the point where you found him in the bathroom at the IC, mm-hmm. uh, ICU department? I know that Marcelo went through a period of, Lord, am, am I being punished for something? I guess anytime something bad happens to us, we're like, God, is this a punishment? 
we had a psychiatrist come in. The Navy has a way of doing things. And, and she said, have you guys talked to your kids about this? Because kids are really self-centered and they will think that they have done something and that God is mad at them and that they're being punished, which was interestingly enough how Marcella was feeling. You know, she goes, I just wanted you to know that that is a common thing and you probably need to talk to your kids. And I'm like, no, our kids know God is good and he doesn't strike us down. So I was in the car with the boys. I didn't think much of it. And I said, hey, guys, a couple weeks ago, a, a lady came in and she said it's common for the kids of parents that have cancer for the kids to feel like that they had done something and God was mad at them and punishing them. But I told her that you guys knew that we just live in a broken world and bad things happen to great people, you know, good people, people that are trying to honor God. And I looked back and both of them were in tears and crying and they had both not said anything, but had that feeling in their heart. Right. They had done something and God was mad at them. So I was able to talk to them through that. But I never felt that way. Even though I was denying what was happening, I was never mad at God. I didn't think God was mad at me. I certainly didn't think God was mad at Marcelo. What made you feel vulnerable? Did anything make you feel vulnerable during this time? This made me feel a little vulnerable. I had been up all night with Marcelo. So they gave me nice sleeping pills. And I was zonked, drooling, <laughs> gone. This official Navy ceremony has to happen. They can't do it without me present. And so they're taking me down to Marcelo. And I am walking down the halls at Naval Medical Portsmouth. <laughs> I am not awake. The pictures are coming out. And oh, gosh. <laughs> whoa, what's going on? <laughs> I was not in the right state of mind. But we get down to his room and they said, due to imminent death, we are retiring you from the Navy. Marcelo, after the fact, looks over to me and he said, Shelly, I looked over and I thought, everything is okay, whatever's going on, because Shelly's here and she's paying attention. Little did he know <laughs> that I was on another moon. Oh, gosh. Um, so the Navy came in and they retired him in that moment. Now, what that meant for us was that we weren't going to be getting paid. They medically retired him. So what they were doing is they were saying, because he is going to die, we're going to retire him so that your family can have medical benefits. But what it did was it took us from military pay to a different kind of way of thinking. And we had been up to that point living at our means and not setting enough money aside because we were trying to get through medical school. You know, for the moment, I felt very vulnerable. When Marcelo walked out, we were given a second lease on his life. Marcelo was returned better because the things as a married couple that get on your nerves all of a sudden become, that's just you. And I'd never thought I was going to experience that with you again. And now that is the most precious thing. You know, thank the Lord there's water all over the bathroom sink on your side. You know what I mean? It's like yes. it, everything has changed. Perspective, everything. Given a new value on life. Yeah. We serve the God of relationship. Yeah. There's no death to him. There's transition, but there's no death with God. Let me maybe add a little. Marcella works in the emergency room. One year later, a friend of ours, he's become a closer friend now. He was Marcelo's boss at the time, and his name was Captain um, Richie. I actually um, was at a Samaritan's Purse conference when I got to hear Captain Richie, he is a missionary in Kenya, talk about death. And death is something that Marcelo sees in the emergency a lot more than you, know, you or I would. Mm. It's such an interesting thing to have somebody there one moment in their body present and then not. Captain Ritchie asked the hard question, is death designed by the devil or is it designed by God? I mean, is it a punishment or is it a, you know, we know that in Genesis that it states that, um, you know, if you eat from the tree, you will die. And that, and so there's this question, where is the death? Is the death the separation from God? Or is the death a physical death? And we've kind of landed on the conclusion that death was by God's design. 
and it ends. And if you look at it in the big scheme of things, one second of harm for a lifetime of good, you know, or protection is is awesome. And I think that's why God numbered our years, that we don't live to 800, 900 years anymore, because he said, it's just a little while. You're here to learn to love me, to follow me. And then we'll be together again and no more pain and no more suffering. And I know we cling to this world. Marcel and I tried to adopt not too long ago. And I can remember them telling us, when you go in and you get that little girl and you bring her home, don't take off her dirty clothes and don't take off her little torn dolly. Because that's all she's ever known. And she's going to cling to those things. And that's going to remind her of home. And I know y'all are going to take her home to a big house and she's going to have a pool and all these things she's never had. And it's going to be so much better. But she's going to have a hard time adjusting. And, and I can see that. That's us. We're just like that. We're like, Lord, we want to stay in our dirty world and our mess where everything's all messed up. With Christ... It's life to life. Yeah. We do serve the God of relationships. So it's that separation that's so painful. It's the separation we fight. And I can't help but remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on however you pronounce that. Don't judge me for that. That's the best I got. So if somebody wants to send me a phonetic spelling of that, I welcome it. But in the Garden, Christ is struggling to get his flesh under the will of his father. And you know, Satan was just tearing him up, whispering in his ear, all the stuff that he tries to tell us. The God in Christ knew what was coming, but he was going to have to endure it in the flesh. And I think any beloved son, especially Christ, knows that he's going to receive the full wrath of his father and separated, be separated from his father. And I just wonder if that the weight of being separated from his beloved father really was too much because he sweat blood in the garden before he ever got to the cross. I can't remember if I've shared it with you. I know it's on my uh, personal testimony, but when we get that sample of pain and there's many types of deaths in people's lives. And I think that taste of being separated from what we thought we were going to have what our goal was, what our dream was, our physical abilities, our finances, our home or, or where we called home. That pain of separation is just a glimpse, just a taste of what it will be like to be separated from God. And I still think that's a generous thing for God to give us this taste, a knowledge of what it will be like. Therefore, we can make an informed decision on where we want to spend eternity, if if just for that small portion of pain. Jacob came home from church last week and he said, well, they ask us a hard question. We're supposed to research it and find out. The Bible says don't store up treasures on earth where they can be destroyed, but store up treasures in heaven. So what treasures will be in heaven? And so Marcel and I made our efforts at answering this. Well, you know, we've heard of crowns and, you know, we would lay those at the feet of Jesus. And so we were all kind of thinking it through. And I felt like God told me that it's people. We're supposed to be sharing the gospel and getting your neighbor connected into the family of God, getting your grocery worker that you see every week talking to him about how good God is. I mean, that's what our treasure in heaven is. And another example that the Lord brought to my mind, many um, people that know me know that I'm very, very hearing impaired and I've lost my hearing a long time ago. And I think that heaven, the treasures we're going to ha have in heaven are going to be similar to, for you to hear in heaven isn't going to be a big deal. But the moment that I enter heaven, my hearing will be restored and I will hear, and that will be a treasure for me. My grandfather was lame. He broke his leg when he was young, and the doctors then didn't know how to repair it or he couldn't afford to have it repaired. So his whole life he was crippled. When I see him entering heaven, I see him running. Hmm. So a lot of times I feel like the things that we, it, the, the treasure of heaven is going to be that restoration of the way things were meant to be. I'm simplifying it by saying a broken leg or ears that don't work, because I know God is so much more than our five senses and the things that we experience. It's going to be so much better. But I do think that our treasures will vary based on our experiences here, that there is a purpose for 
our pain. I'm sure there's a bigger picture to that because God is so much bigger. But when you say purpose to our pain, it immediately reminds me of the fact that I know some deep things about his heart now after having gone through this situation. And there's been many a time before that I would not submit to the situation, you know, like, Lord, just get me out of this. Lord, I don't want this pain, Lord. But this, of course, just flattened me and I had no fight in me. So I, I have refused to surrender and fought that. But when I did not rush my pain, well, when I did not have any choice in rushing my pain, I learned some beautiful things about who he is why he's qualified to speak into pain and the depth of his heart for situations like this. So I kind of feel, I don't know, guilty, bad. What's the word I'm looking for in all the other times where I've rushed through and missed something about him that he was trying to communicate or reveal to me or let me know about him. So it does give me pause next time something slows me down, not necessarily flattens me like that, but something that catches my attention, I'm going to stop and pause and dig in a little bit. Lord, what are you trying to say here? What is it that you want to show me about who you are in this? Yeah. I love that about you, Sherry. That is one of the things that has blessed me because you are doing what we all need to do and you're being so transparent and vulnerable to share your hurt with others. I think people often will not talk about how they feel because they don't want to be like always sad or making people feel sad. And because you're doing things to give him the glory, everyone that listens to you is encouraged. Life is short and it's precious. We need to be good to each other. We need to love each other. What does that look like? That means that we rejoice and we celebrate, but we also cry together. And we also walk through all the hard stuff together. I have a little nine-year-old aunt and her husband had died about, I don't know, a year maybe before Larry or or near the time. She would call me and she'd say, Shelly, read me another one of Sherry's stories because you were able to put in words. And she just cried. It was hard to read your words. It was hard to hear you hurting. It was hard, but it released something within her to be Mm -hmm. able to understand that there was somebody else out there that knew how deeply the pain was. So I don't know, you know, all that God is doing with your ministry, but I'm so thankful for it. Um, I wanted to share one thing. Captain Richie has been a big part of our life. The last time he was here, he shared something very profound to me. He said, Shelly, all of my life I was taught to forward think, you know, in my Navy career, where am I going to go? You know, you need to plan ahead, plan ahead, always looking forward into the future. And he goes, now that I'm older and more mature and maybe a little wiser, I'm realizing how what the benefit is. I hope I'm getting close to the meaning of what he said is that we really need to be looking back at life and how we've seen God carry us through all of those hard times. And then just backing into the future, trusting that he's already there, that he's already got us. And I just thought that that was so beautiful because he has always been so good and he's always gotten us through. And it's hard to accept when things don't feel good that he's still doing something good. But because it's in God's word, we know that it's true and um, that he's good, he's loving, he is just, and he's going to make the hard things of this world right if we put our trust and our faith in his son, Jesus. There is definitely power in looking at the examples God has given us in order to move forward with confidence in life. How did the enemy show up? And in what way did he try to separate you from the truth of who God is in the midst of your trial? Fear just of being without Marcelo and what the world would be like without him. It was, um, I don't know, I couldn't even really think. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't let my mind rest. But I truly believe that we need to fear God, not anything that this world is going to throw at us. Because like with COVID, I've had a really hard time with the fear generated by it. 
there's a famous line, and I can't give the quote to where it is due, but it says, fear can't kill you, but it can keep you from living. And I was um, quickly reminded through all of this COVID as they were telling us, stay in your homes, don't go anywhere. We have three sons and they live close. And I have four grandchildren. We have three foster babies right now. And I decided that we are going to enjoy life to the fullest. And if that means that our life is cut short, it's better to be together than to be fearfully separated. I just wanted to put my trust back in God. And I was able to say, wait a minute, I know who is in control of life and death. And it isn't me. I am going to enjoy my grandchildren. I'm going to enjoy my family and go to Texas with my friends because we were called to live, not hide and I don't want to lose relationship. I do want to tell you about Jacob. Marcella was at Naval Medical Portsmouth, you've heard that a few times, on the fourth floor. And on the fourth floor is labor and delivery. We would walk the entire hospital several times, mainly during the night when the hospital slowed down. And we would always pray for the new babies that were coming into the world while we were over here fighting for life. It gave us hope that life just keeps going. They did tell us in the beginning of Marcella's diagnosis that we wouldn't be able to have any more children. But we already had John and Jordan. They were about 13 and 9. And we were satisfied with that. We were like, that's okay. That's not a problem. We just want to live. And so the miraculous thing that happened to us is that five-year cancer-free mark is a pretty big mark for cancer survivors. That means you're probably pretty good. It's over, probably. I was in the hospital giving birth to Jacob on the day that they called with Marcelo's PET scan that said he was five years cancer-free on the fourth floor in the same hospital where we were fighting for his life just a very few years earlier. We just looked at each other and we knew that it was God saying, you know, I am the author of life and I say who lives and who dies and who has babies. He's in all of those things. And we cannot live one day without seeing our Jacob, without the reminder. And I love that our God loves those reminders, like the way the Israelites would stack the rocks to remember how good God is, because we are quick to forget sometimes how he has pulled us out of things. This was just an exclamation mark on the end of our cancer journey as far as God being good and he was doing good things. Every time I see Marcelo. I, he is a walking miracle to me. And then around the corner comes Jacob. And I was like, you shouldn't have even been possible by what Marcelo was hit with. He was treated. He was made neutropenic four times. They, they gave him a lot of chemo. He had to have several procedures after his cancer to restore his body. They physically harmed him. Chemo is, it's a game. We're going to bring you as close to death as we can and try to bring you back. It's interesting to me, Sherry, I don't know if you know this, but a cancer cell is a cell that won't die. It's supposed to die, it just won't. And the fact that it won't die kills you. It's very um, interesting. Yes, it is. I have never heard that explanation. Do you have any regrets? I do regret not being thankful. I was spiraling. I might not have written the thank you notes that I should have. People really loved on us during that time. And I just wanted out of that time. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to linger there. But right. um, I think I, I was selfish a lot during that time, as far as thinking a lot about how I was going to be if he wasn't with me anymore. I'd I can remember one time we, we had made a, a lot of friends on the cancer floor and we walked over to meet this family and they were talking to us and I was talking to them, but Marcelo had kind of backed away and he wasn't speaking as much anymore. I, I was like, is everything okay? He's like, I just need to go back to the room. I hadn't realized, but during this chemo regimen, he had sores all in his mouth and all down mm. his throat and just oh. swallowing he just didn't feel like socializing. He seemed fine, but I don't think I was very empathetic. I think I was a good advocate for him. Like if he, something was wrong, I would go and I'd be like, get in here, you need something. But 
I just wasn't as empathetic because I was more watching out for my own feelings and struggling with my own thoughts and fears. But I think that's normal. I don't see anything wrong with that. I get that you wish you had been more fully engaged, but what you're explaining is completely normal in my opinion. Because my husband works in the emergency room, hindsight is twenty twenty. He has to make decisions on the spot, and he has to find a treatment plan and take people down this route. At the end of the day, somebody can look back and say, well, why didn't you do this, that, and the other? I have moved forward realizing that when bad things happen, that is an opportunity to trust in God and to see what he will do. It's like, how can we give God glory in this situation how can we make it all about him not all about me not all about marcelo but or our kids but how how can we see him through the hard parts of life and look for what he's doing the fact that you even recognize that speaks to your maturity in christ because i think that is a level of maturity in christ to be able to have that perspective right off bat i think about people who forgive someone who did something very tragic to them, and yet they immediately forgive. Either they're not in touch with reality, or that is a level of maturity and understanding who God is that I have not reached yet. It's got to be a beautiful place to be that your response would be able to see this person through God's eyes and not let that trauma define you. This is one thing that I put my hope in. The older that I get, you say maturity, I feel like I'm still learning a lot of the same lessons, that the Lord is still working on me. I also feel that the older my body gets, the younger my spirit is. And Mm. that's why I know that there's a heaven. There's another side of this because we're just, we're still just getting it. We're just figuring it out. And even though our bodies are saying game is almost over, you know, you can't hear anything, you're squinting to see everything. We are still in a beginning stage. I love life on this earth. I really do. I love to play with my friends. We love to go jet ski. We just bought a golf car. We're having a lot of fun. I always want to think with heaven in my mind, you know, the Lord's kingdom, it is here and now and it is coming. I I can tell it because my spirit, my soul is still just a youth, yet my body is fading away. So I know that this inside of me was created for something more. I am excited to see and trust that the Lord has something that in retrospect, we're going to be like, oh my gosh, why did we ever? (laughs) Why were we ever hanging on to this with white knuckles? Hanging on to this world when the Lord was saying, just, you know, give it to me, give me your burden, cast your burden. If I can say anything, I want to thank my mom and dad for raising me in a Christian home where I had all this scripture in my heart and in my head. and, And I was raised with hands open, Lord, take it, whatever. The songs that I learned when I was a little girl, I'll cast all my cares upon you. I'll lay all my burden down at your feet. All of those things would flood my mind during those times. And I'm just so thankful that they raised me in a way that when the bad stuff came, just like you, Sherry, I mean, there was no other place I needed to be but at the feet of Jesus. And thank you for always being an encouragement to me and to my family and to everyone around you. I mean, you can't help it, but... um, Thank you for turning your eyes towards the Lord. Well, that's you loving on me. (laughs) I think that's what you've done. You've transferred. There's something beautiful about marriage because the Lord says that he is our groom and we as the church are his bride and he is coming back for us, you know, and that's such an exciting thing. Amen to that. I'm looking forward to that. Tell me some of the things that God brought back to you. Well, first and foremost, that would be Marcelo, and I um, treasured him in a whole new way. The little things that may, you know, bug you about living with someone, they, they became treasures, and my perspective was completely changed. Financially, he wasn't, they didn't take all, all of our income. It did take a little while for everything to settle out, but he got retirement pay, which was a lot less. And for him to get a job with no hair, no eyebrows, you know, to me, it was also miraculous. Yes. Everything seemed new. I'd explain it in a way. Deployments, if, if anybody out there is listening as a military member, you know, when you're working up for deployment, it's always goodbye, goodbye. This is our last meal. This is our last week. Everything is a countdown. Does that make sense? 
But then upon their return, everything is renewed. It's just polar opposite. Does that make sense? It's like you were given the best gift and that gift was his life. And then you had Jacob. Just to put things in perspective, my oldest son was 18 and my youngest son was 14. So to have a baby at that point, I, I can remember Marcel and I were at lunch. I was telling him a story and I was crying. He's like, what is wrong with you? This is not even a sad story. And I was like, I don't know. I know it's not possible, but I feel pregnant. You know that undone feeling you feel when you're pregnant? Yes. Like, I just don't feel right. And I said, I'm going to go um, get a pregnancy test at the food line or whatever. And he's like, don't waste some money. Those are so expensive. There's no way you're pregnant. And so I went in to get whatever he asked me to get. And I also got one of those tests. And I went home and it was so funny because I get into the bathroom and I'm reading it. And from the time I had had John and Jordan to the time I was now pregnant with Jacob and just didn't know it yet, you could take the pregnancy anytime. Back in the day, you had to take it first thing in the morning. So I wasn't even really processing very well. I just took the test. It immediately went, you're pregnant. I'm like, I just wanted to shock. I really did. I set the pregnancy test down on the bathroom sink. I went into my office and I started doing work and Marcelo came in and he said, I am so mad at you. I told you not to waste money on that test. And, and he said, you know, this says you're pregnant, right? And I was like, I know, you know, all the people nowadays, they make such a big fuss of how they're going to find, tell their loved one that they're pregnant or, or they're going to find out the gender of the baby, you know, in this special way. And I was just like, and I was lost. <laughs> I was like, lost. You and Marcella were arguing. <laughs> I know we're arguing. And he sent me down to the hospital. Cause he's like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. it's not possible. So he sends me down to the hospital and you know, as scared as I was, I was scared, Sherry. I had the two boys without any medicine. So I didn't have the epidural or anything. What? John- Jordan. So I, you know, people say you forget the pain. I'm like, I have told John and Jordan, I went to the Valley of Shadow of Death to give birth to you. It was awful. It was the worst pain in my life. I'm like terrified. I am too old to do this. I can't do it. I went to the the hospital where he sent me and I'm waiting and I'm, I'm just so sad. I'm crying thinking, what if they come out and tell me I'm not pregnant? I'd only known that I was pregnant for a nanosecond. And now I'm terrified that I wasn't. But then, You're definitely pregnant at this point. <laughs> and then they told me, because you're old, every time I went to the doctor, he's going to have Down syndrome. Oh, yeah. Because of all you guys have been through, something could be wrong. Don't get your hopes up. And I'm like, stop telling me that. We're keeping him no matter what. He is perfect. He's smart. All three of your boys are good looking boys. So definitely a blessing. Last question. When you think about, and I know you've had 19 years to, so you've got some distance on it and not just a little bit of distance. You have 19 years on this question, but what was the overarching message that God revealed to you during this time? How did he speak to you in a unique way or to solidify something that you knew about him? But now it's not just words on crinkly pages. It is a experiential Um, situation? Or did he reveal a lie that you believed about him? And now he wanted to set that straight? Mm, That's a good question. I would say for Marcella, the answer would be different. For me, the answer is that I am God and you are not. Mm. I am in control and I have a plan and it is for you. That his ways are not our ways. If we would paint out our life, everything would go perfect. There'd be birds chirping, you know what I mean? But it seems that we learn best sometimes through the hardships that we can see more clearly. And I don't know about you, but during that time, the Lord was so close to both of us. I don't want to bring cancer back. That's not what I'm saying. Right. I got you. But it was a very precious time where we had to put our complete trust on him alone. Our trust is somewhat divided, but during that time when we had no control and we didn't know what the next day was gonna hold, one thing I learned about cancer treatment and about chemo, I think it's changed, but back then 
it was the chemo that would cause trouble. We would be in our room and all of a sudden you'd hear a bustle in the room next to you and boom, somebody was gone. It just took them. It wasn't like a natural death, like you got older and then you just kind of faded and you slowly, your breathing changed and things got weird. It seemed to me that our experience was that chemo was somewhat, you know, anything could happen at any moment, just learning that he is in control. And it, it makes me laugh when I get into situations even today where I think, okay, I'm going to wipe down everything that comes from the grocery store with a wipe and I'm going to control this. It takes a little while for God to remind me, Shelly, <laughs> you're not in control. I am. You know, be wise with the decisions you make. Do not jump off a cliff or something like that. But, um, but Trust me that I have a plan and I am your creator and I knew all these things were going to happen. I'm not shocked by anything. And even if Marcelo, you know, I, I have I've asked myself that question, Sherry, what if Marcelo wouldn't have lived? What would my life have been like? I think it was settled in the bathroom that he, he would have still taken care of us, that he was doing something good. We have to trust that God is good and he's doing good things. He's going to make everything right. Amen to that. I'm counting on that. I think we're challenged by our definition of what a good life is compared to what God has control of. So we look at things such as death. And ultimately, I think it's the separation that we fight against. But as we talked about earlier, God's perspective on death is completely different. It's not how we see it. That's right. So. It's an upgrade. We don't see it that way because this is all we know. We're a little orphan child doing the best we can in the world we were placed in. But I really do believe, Sherry, that this world, we're just supposed to be learning to love him. And I don't know why the Lord allowed things to happen in your life the way that they did. I don't, but I wish I had a good answer, but I trust them. Well, God is doing good things. I will say that. I mean, yes, this is not what I thought my future was going to be. Uh, it's not like I had details of what my future was going to look like, but it, it certainly included my husband. So when all that changed, it does pull the rug out from underneath you. And that's putting it lightly, but God is still good. I've even written a blog post about God is still good and kind in death. They were just things that I was thankful for, despite the outcome of Larry's life with me. But God's still good. Thank you, my sweet and precious friend. I love and appreciate you. Thank you for being brave enough to share your heart on what it looks like to face cancer, trust in the God who holds life and death in the palm of his hand, and then to come out beautiful on the other side. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you for loving me enough to ask me to be a part. Always, always. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.